So, we're going to look again at what we read earlier. And I want to ask, as we went through it, how, how did it feel to go through a psalm like that? Maybe you came in from the bright sunshine, happy Sunday morning, and you come in to read a miserable experience of a man pleading with no answer. It's called one of the saddest psalms in the whole of the Bible. Possibly, I would say, one of the saddest songs ever written. And it's not just sad, it's intense. I don't know if it gets you as, as you read it, but this man is feeling intense emotions. There's overwhelming anxiety, dread, fear. There's poetic pictures that he uses that we all seem to get. So he, he talks about going into a pit. He's not in a literal pit, but he's talking about it's like he's in a pit. Then he's talking about floods, overwhelming floods, waves going over him. He can just catch his breath. And then another wave comes and another wave comes. It's strong poetic imagery. And the worst thing is, it's all dark. As you're going through the psalm, it feels dark. He uses the word darkness quite a few times in the psalm. It's saying he can't even see a way out. It's dark. There's no way out. And the question is, how can one man go through something like this? And more than that, how can a believer go through something like this? That's something we need to reckon with this morning. This man, Heman, as we read at the top, I hope I'm saying his name right, is a believer. He believes in God. He's a man of faith. And yet, he's writing a psalm like this. He's going through an experience like this. Now, sometimes when we think of Christians, maybe some of you think this, they're almost like a Ned Flanders type humming all day long, smiling, white teeth. I've, I've been called Ned Flanders by some people. I'm definitely not happy like he was. But you have this image of someone that knows God. They're going to be happy all the time. But how do we deal with Psalm 88? He's a believer. He hasn't walked out on the Lord. He's calling on the Lord. We have to reckon with this psalm. What is this psalm doing in the Bible? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Simple question. Why is this psalm in our Bibles? And I'm gonna, there's many reasons to that question. I'm only going to look at four reasons this morning um, that I think why this psalm is in our Bibles. Firstly, this psalm forces us to explore darkness. Now, normally, we want to avoid darkness at all costs. We're like little children. Anything that's dark or scary, we want to run away from. This psalm doesn't let us do that. If you read this psalm, you're going to get pulled into his experience. It's so intense and so detailed that you can't help but feel it. So as you're going through this psalm, you're forced into the darkness as you read it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to literally walk through this psalm, explore it. And what do we see first? Well, verse 1 again, verse 1 and 2. We hear Heman say this, O Lord, God of my salvation... I cry out to day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. So here we see he's calling God Lord, which is Yahweh, Lord, the Lord's name. He knows who God is, right? But he also says, God of my salvation. So this man has tasted God in his life. He knows God's real. He doesn't just know it in his head. It's God of my salvation. It's personal. He's tasted God. He's real. He saved him at some point in his life. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that, God of my salvation. So that's who we're looking at here. But 
in this psalm, he's crying out. The word cry there is a powerful word. He's crying. Now, it's not our kind of reformed, nice prayers where we're saying all these wonderful things. He's crying. He, he, he's, his whole life is on the line here. God, where are you? And he keeps crying out. It says, I cry out day and night before you. He keeps crying out over and over and over. And it's like God hasn't answered. So it's interesting that we've actually been looking at that with Gerard. God not answering prayer. In verse 2, he's saying, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Please, hear me. So this is where we begin. A man of God crying out. Crying out. As we go through, we start to see why. So, so verse 3, he says, For my soul is full of troubles. We hear a man filled with anxiety, trouble, and it's inward, his soul. So it's in the depth of him. Now, this is the worst kind of trouble. Trouble out there, you can run away from or try and get away from. Trouble inside you, you're stuck with it. There's no getting away from an anxious or troubled soul. He says, my soul is filled with trouble, filled to the brim, to the point of overflowing. And there's nothing worse. I think everyone here will know that, anyone who's gone through a time like this. Listen to what Spurgeon said about soul trouble. He says, the flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. That gives you an idea of soul trouble. And I wonder if, again, if anyone's like me, you've tasted something of that. It's horrible. But there's more. We continue in verse 3 and we hear that this man is facing death. It's not just inner mental health issues, you could say. There's outward issues. He's facing death. Verse 3 continues, And my life draws near to Sheol, the place of the dead. He's saying, My life is in danger. And as we go on, verse 4, we see that people expect him to die. He says, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. People are looking at him saying, this man, he's not going to last long. He goes on, I'm a man who has no strength. It's like he's halfway there already towards death. I've got no strength. I'm weak. Verse 5, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. This man is facing death and he's halfway there already. Let's go on. Let's continue. It gets even more hard to bear. Verse 6. We hear a man under heavy guilt. Verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Now I could have read that with a different emphasis. You have put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. He's saying to the God that he's praying to, you have put me in this situation, and I know it. It's not a mistake. This situation I'm in, God is doing to me. So he's calling on God saying, help me, but God's the one who's put him in the situation. So it's like he's calling out to someone that feels like an enemy. God's wrath is heavy upon him, anger. Now, some of us struggle with the idea of God's anger full stop today. 
God, God is angry. We, we struggle with that. This man is feeling it heavy upon him. He's, he's feeling God's anger. He knows it's from God. And he's overwhelmed. You overwhelm me with all your waves. Now, this is guilt. Now, anyone that has felt guilt in this life knows it's one of the hardest emotions or experiences to go through. It's so loud. It's so heavy. It saps the life out of you. We see it in David's Psalms. Guilt is a horrible emotion. It's one of the worst emotions you can feel in this life. And what we're finding out here is guilt is at the heart of this man's experience. It's something we need to consider later. At the heart of this man's despair is guilt and where he stands with God. Those two together. Now, someone in trouble today, that's not going to be two things that they're thinking about when they're going through these times. So we're going to have to consider why that is later. But let's keep going through. We've seen that, I, I, think, I hope you noticed this. So far, we, everything that we've gone through is some of our top fears today still. Anxiety, facing death, guilt. Two, three very huge issues today. Anxiety epidemic, fear of death, and guilt. Let's continue. It's, it's interesting that the word sealer is there after verse 7. Now, lots of people have ideas what that means. Some people think it's a pause. It would be quite fitting if it was a pause because he talks about waves going over him. He takes a breath and then another wave comes. I think as we go through this psalm, we need breathers because it is so intense. Let's continue. So, verse 8, what do we see? We see a man completely rejected. You have caused my companions to shun me. Again, it's God who's done it. You have caused my companions to shun me. Companions, friends. It's not just God he feels is against him. His friends have shunned him. He's got no one. He's by himself. Worse still, it goes on. You have made me a horror to them. So it's not just that his friends have ignored him. He's shameful to them. They're disgusted by him. Horror. The word could be translated abomination. They are disgusted by him. They can't even look at him. Now, this could be saying many things. It could be disease. They've repelled, repelled from him by disease, maybe leprosy. Or it's his sins and his life is so disgusting. No one wants anything to do with him. Isolation, completely isolated. Then we hear... In verse 8, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. So he's trapped. Now, I don't know if anyone here has claustrophobia, but being trapped is something we all fear. Now, Thorpe Park used to have a ride called uh, No Way Out. So the young people probably don't have a clue about this because this is before their time. But every time I used to go to Thorpe Park, I completely avoided that ride. So I'd go and everything else, loggers leap. But when it came to No Way Out, let me describe to you No Way Out. So it's this big black dome, and you go inside and it's pitch black. And then it's this roller coaster that goes backwards, round and round, in pitch black. And it's called No Way Out. They call that fun. Um, <laughs> I didn't go on it. I was more happy with nice, gentle uh, rides. But the point is that 
they've tried to capture your fears in a right. It does relate to our fears. And the scary thing here is everything we've heard of this man so far relates to that right. <laughs> but it's real life. This is his real life. There is no way out for him. He's, he's trapped, he says in verse 8. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. And then we continue. Ver- verse 9. My eye grows dim through sorrow. That says his eyes are hardly even open. The brightness has gone from him. Maybe even tears. He can't even see properly. The tears are covering his vision. It, his eyes are dim through sorrow. This is a man crying. And verse 9, he continues. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. He's still calling on the Lord, still calling on the Lord. And when you see him spreading out his hands, you can't help but think of a child. When you see a child in trouble, they, they lift up their hands to their parents. This man is lifting up his hands with no one to catch him. We continue. Verse 10, we read, A man afraid of death. Verse 10 to 12. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? What he's doing here is he's basically saying, God, I don't want to die. And his argument that he's using is for God. This is a man of God. He's not saying, "Um, I just don't want to die. He's saying, God, if you save my life, you're going to get the glory People are going to see and say, God, that was God. So this man, his argument is admirable. But at the heart of his argument is, I don't want to die. It's capturing again that very basic human fear of death. Every single human being, you could argue, at the heart of all of their fears is death. We are afraid of death. And what we find here in these two, three verses is how death seems from a human experience. Land of forgetfulness, land of the unknown, What happens beyond? That's why we're so afraid. It's unknown. What's beyond this horrible point where I stop breathing? It's a fear. I hope you're seeing that as we go through this psalm, all of our fears are wrapped up in one psalm. Horribly. We go on, verse 13. We hear a man lost. He says, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Do you see, he's still crying out to the Lord and he's asking why. He wants to know why. Why is he being treated this way? Have you ever asked why and God hasn't answered? Sometimes we're forced to settle with the uncertainty of not knowing why things happen. And this man is not just going through horror, but he doesn't know why. He's confused. He's lost. Verse 15. He says, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. We learn that this is a man worn down. This isn't something new. Afflicted from my youth up. This is something he's had to endure over and over again. And I think all of you know here that when something happens to you for the first time, you can kind of bear it. But as it drags on and on and on, it gets harder and harder and harder. This man has experienced this horrible sense in this psalm for a long time, from his youth up. He says, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. 
We still go on. I know some of you are hoping to get to the end of the psalm quickly, but we have to take in more. We, we hear about a man completely overwhelmed. Verse 16 to 17. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Again, it's plural. <laughs> Your dreadful assaults destroy me. He's talking to God. Sounds like he's talking to an enemy. Your dreadful assaults coming from all angles. Flood closing in on him to get all closer. He's stuck. And it's God who's doing it. We're finally reaching the end. And let's read the final verse. Verse 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The last word of this psalm is darkness. I was expecting when I first read this psalm ever to have that nice ending that all the other psalms have. It starts off really horrible and then, but you delivered me. Praise the Lord. He heard my prayer. He answered my call. You don't find that here. The last word in this psalm is darkness. This was hard to go through. When, when you read this personally, it's not an easy psalm. And even today, on this sunny day, it's hard. Um, we run from this. We run from suffering. And we run from even the talk of suffering. This psalm doesn't let us do that. So I hope you've seen that in exploring the darkness, it does something. That's what we've done. We've simply explored the darkness in this psalm. It does something. There's a reason why this psalm is here. It forces us to explore the darkness. And secondly, it makes us face up to the darkness. That's what this does. You can't run away from it here. You have, we have to face up to the darkness. And one thing I think that maybe has struck home to you guys as we've gone through is this psalm is too close to home, if you're honest, if I'm honest. You have experienced something of this in your life. I guarantee every single person in this room have tasted something of this. Maybe not right now. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was yesterday. But there is something in this psalm that pulls at you and you feel it. And it's horrible. Maybe a memory. Maybe some of you even are sitting this morning in the midst of this psalm. We're forced to face up to it. What I love about the Bible is it's real life. It's not like Hollywood acting. It's not a fairy tale. It's not even positive thinking, which is huge today. Shut out any negativity and dwell on the positive all the time. The Bible doesn't let you do that. The Bible puts you face to face with how life really is. That's what this psalm is doing. And it makes us uncomfortable because we see that this man's darkness reflects mine. It may not be as intense as he's feeling at the moment, but it reflects something of my life. Something. Whoever you are, Christian or not, rich or poor, whatever race you are this morning, whatever religion you are, wherever you've come from, you know something of this. Like I said earlier, every issue that pops up in this psalm is a top issue today. We'll go through them one more time. We see anxiety. We see a fear of death. 
We see loneliness, which is a huge issue today. Loneliness. We need to come to terms with the fact that this is real life. Whether you've lived in the time of this man or whether we're living today, this psalm features all our worst fears rolled into one man's experience. We have to face our darkness. But why do we have to face it? Because as long as you run away from darkness and these issues, you will never get to the solution. So we have to face our darkness. Because when you do, like this man here, like Heman, he asks why, doesn't he? In this Psalm, verse 14, Lord, why? Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? When you start to face up to the reality of life, when you start to face up to suffering and the issues that are inside you, those thoughts that don't go away, those feelings that plague you, those fears that you have, you start to question. Now, I remember a question last year on our um, week away. Pester the pastor. One question that came up was, why is life so hard? Has anyone asked that question? As long as you pretend life isn't hard, you'll never ask that question. But the minute you start to face up to the fact that life is hard, you will ask that question. And there are answers to that. Now, I'm not saying that this man got the answer to why he was going through what he was going through. But he knew at least the root of it, which we don't even get to today. As I said earlier, the root of this man's issue was guilt and where he stood with God. There's no getting away from that as you read his psalm. He knows that he needs God. That's why he keeps calling out to God. And he knows that what he's going through is because of God. He says, your wrath lies heavy upon me. So this psalm makes us face up to the root of darkness. It's the answer to why life is the way it is. It's to do with you and God, the maker of all things. Sin is at the heart of why we go through experiences like this. Now, we have to explain sin again because sin is a word we don't throw around today. If there was no sin, there would be no Psalm 88. Simple as that. I'm not saying that this happened to this man particularly because he was a worse sinner than the rest. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if there was no sin in the world, there would be none of this. The Bible tells us that when we were first made, there was none of this that we've read. The minute we rejected God, our maker, who is the source of light, the source of peace, the source of love, all of this stuff has become our experience. So until you see what caused your darkness, what causes these feelings that rise up in you, you will never get to the solution. At least this man realised the heart of it. And that's why he was calling on God. He couldn't stop because he knew that's where the solution lay. We live in a cursed world, and the evidences are all around. So we've explored the darkness, and we've hopefully started to face up to the darkness. But there is a question that comes now. Where's the light then? Where's the light? Where's the light in this psalm? For anyone, not just this man. You could, there's some legitimate questions you could ask when you just look at this psalm. You, you could say, what's the point in following God? Dawkins 
could look at this psalm and say, look at these fools, crying out to God, no answer, miserable. God's anger lies heavy upon them. Dawkins has a, a bus campaign uh, in, in the past called, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. That's his answer to this. He, he, what, what would he say to this man? He would say, stop worrying. Enjoy yourself. Stop being a miserable guts. Stop talking about God's anger and guilt. Enjoy your life. That would be Dawkins' answer to this. That would be many people's answer to this psalm today. This psalm makes us question, what's the point in following God? If everyone goes through this, and this man is going through this, and there's no answer, the last word is darkness, what is the point? Why is he wasting his breath calling on God if it's making him feel worse? These are legitimate questions that this psalm throws up. Well, there's another reason why this psalm's in our Bibles. This psalm leads us to look for the light. In such a dark psalm, we're left searching, where's the light in this psalm? Where's the hope? And I want to point us again to that last verse, probably the darkest verse it feels in the whole psalm. Verse 18, he says, You caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Where's the light there? Surely it's this, that as he's saying these words, he's praying to God still. So even as he says this statement, saying, I have no friends, they're all darkness, who's he talking to? He's still talking to God. He hasn't turned back on God yet. He's still praying. Even by the end of this psalm, he still sees something in God to come back to him. It's so interesting because God in this psalm is painted like an enemy. Who in their right mind would keep coming back to an enemy who makes them feel worse? But that's what this psalmist is doing. Every chance he's coming back, he's saying, God, what, what's happening? The light here is that this man has seen something in God and he can't stop coming to this God. There's something in God that he's seen and he can't let it go. So there's always a light. He never throws in the towel. In this whole psalm, he, he could have packed his bags and gone and said, right, I'm just going to make the most of my life then. It's miserable, but let me just try and enjoy it. He keeps calling on God. There's something he's seen and tasted, and he keeps coming back, keeps coming back, even if the last word seems darkness. He's still calling on the Lord. That's the light in this psalm. There is something in God worth pursuing, no matter what and no matter how dark things get. So this psalm leads us to look for the light. Fourth reason this psalm is in our Bibles. This psalm leads us to find the light. Let me tell you more about why God is the light in this psalm. Verse 1. Let's go back to the beginning. This man, Heman, says, O Lord God of my salvation... That's how he opens this psalm. He is saying, God, you're still my salvation. I'm going through a horrible time right now. I can't see you. It's dark. You're making me feel worse. But you're still my salvation. You've saved me. I know it. I've tasted it. That's what he's saying. And why he keeps calling on God is because he somehow still believes that God will save him still. 
Otherwise, why would he call on God? So he still believes God will be his salvation. He knows he's presently still his salvation. He's still hoping that there'll be a saving in the future from this. Otherwise, he would have gone home a long time ago. That's the point here. And someone could look and say, what a fool. He died. This man went on to die. He's not alive today. What was he doing? But I want to tell you this morning, this man was exactly right. As you flick through the pages of this Bible, it's a story that continues. It doesn't stop at Psalm 88. Thank God the Bible doesn't stop at verse 18 of Psalm 88. It continues. And as you reach the New Testament, you find that God is his salvation. Jesus walks the earth, and his name means God saves. Yahweh is salvation. Jesus walks the earth, and how does he save us? How does God save us? By entering into our darkness to pull us out. So what this man was feeling was a temporary thing. Down the line, the God that he was praying to, the God that he thought was against him, comes in to the darkness of our world. And you could say this morning that God experiences Psalm 88 in its fullness. We can legitimately say that this morning. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, as you read about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, As I think about Psalm 88, to me it reads like his own personal experience as he walked this earth. So let's go through it one more time, this psalm, a lot more briefly, but let's just look for Christ. Let's look for where Jesus is in this psalm. Let's look for what he experiences. Remember, Jesus calls himself the light of the world and he entered the darkness. The light entered the darkness. So, firstly... Where do we see Jesus? We see Jesus, verse 1. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. As this man, Heman, was a man of God, we see Jesus was the man of God. He was God himself. He was the one who was faithful. He was the one who called out to God, who depended on God in ways that we and Heman never did. But what happens? What happens to Jesus? Well, as we move through Psalm 88, we find out that he experiences everything we read here in a full extent to which we never would. Let's give some examples. My soul is troubled, verse 3. What does Jesus say in John 12? Now my soul is troubled, he says. This is God himself saying it. God himself says, my soul is troubled. In Matthew 26, Jesus says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. He was a man of sorrows. Jesus walked through this dark world and experienced everything we experience amplified. We see, what else do we see? Just as this man Haman was pleading not to die. What did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? I plead with you, Father, take this cup from me if there's another way. Jesus, it faced on the, the fear of death. He faced it face on. It was real. It wasn't an act when he was praying that prayer. We see Jesus utterly rejected. We see this man, all his companions rejected him. What happened to Jesus? Peter, the disciple, his closest one, 
denied him three times. Judas betrays him and hands him into the hands of enemies. Then we see the whole nation reject him and he's hung on a cross. He's put to shame in a way that none of us ever will. Open shame. He hung naked on a cross, beaten, mocked, spat on. And then it gets even deeper because remember, this man who wrote Psalm 88 says, your wrath lies heavy on me, O God. Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the sinless one, is treated as though he was the worst sinner that ever lived. In fact, you could say that everything that Heman experienced here was a drop compared to the flood that Christ experienced at the cross because he took all our sin upon him. And then with Christ, like verse 18, it seems like darkness had the last word. Where where does Christ end? In a tomb. That was where his life led, to a tomb. But here's the point. Christ entered our darkness to take away our darkness. So everything that Christ experienced, everything that we've just gone through, I want you to imagine that every bit of darkness and guilt and shame and fear that you've experienced in your life was thrown upon him. He literally took our darkness away. That's what happened on that cross. And when he bursts from the tomb three days later, it says to all of us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So that means that everything that stood out to you this morning, whether it's guilt that's weighing you down this morning, whether it's a dread and a fear of death, whether it's grieving the death of a loved one, whether it's anxiety and souls filled with troubles, whether it's the fear of judgment and anger of God, Jesus faced it all instead of you if only you would come and trust him. Jesus is the answer to all of these dreads and fears in Psalm 88. That's the simple answer. He faced it, he took it, and then he rose, and it's left in the tomb. Now, what does that mean then? Does that mean that we don't need Psalm 88 anymore? Does that mean that we Christians really should be like Ned Flanders hopping and skipping around, smiling, no more troubles in the world. No. This is where the paradox comes in. Darkness has been defeated, yes. But darkness yet remains. We're living in a world of darkness, fears, sin remains in us. We need this psalm. And I wonder if there are people here this morning who are in the midst of this psalm and you're just about hanging on even tempted to throw in the towel. We need this psalm. So please take these points as we close. Medicine, hopefully. Firstly, the psalm says to you, you're not alone. I would say the scariest point in my life is when I did feel truly alone. Um, 
honestly thought that no one understood me and what I was going through. This psalm, you could see, is like God saying to you, look at my servant, Heman. He was a man of God. Look what he's going through. You're not alone. How much we need to hear that. This psalm also says to you, cry out to the Lord. Whatever is troubling you, don't keep it in. Cry out to the Lord. It says, be real. Look how real that Heman was. He was real in what he said. He was holding nothing back. This wasn't a pretentious prayer. This was him telling God exactly how he felt, even as stupid as it sounded. He was telling God, I feel like this. I feel I have no friends. He was telling God everything. Be real. Not just that. He shared his experience with others. We have his experience written down for us today in God's word. That says something to us. That says that Christians can benefit from hearing about your troubled experiences. Now, I know we have to be cautious in what we share, but this is an encouragement to share your troubles with your brothers and sisters so they can carry it with you. Don't keep it locked up to yourself. Tell it to God first, but also share it with others so they can carry the load with you. Because what does that tell us? It tells them that they're not alone. If you tell them what you're going through, they might be going through the exact same thing. And they realise, oh, I'm not alone. I'm going through the same thing. So share your burdens with one another. Fourthly, we have to remember this bit. However dark it feels, it's only temporary. We have to remember this bit. This felt very dark in this psalm. But I want you to see it like an eclipse. In an eclipse, the sun is still shining just the same as it always does. But it's blocked. That's what this is like. Any dark or horrible time that a Christian is going through, even where it seems like God is angry with you, it's not that his face has stopped shining, it's that it's been blocked for a time. So I don't know what's blocked it in your life. Maybe you felt for a long time this has been your experience. Maybe sin has blocked God's face from you. Maybe trials, maybe an enemy has done it. But what this is saying to you is you are still loved by God, even if you don't feel it. You are still a child of God, even if you feel like an enemy. All these things are still true, even if in this present moment, it feels like the exact opposite. Eclipses are always temporary, remember that. And that that means until you see his love again, The final thing, hold on. While it's dark, whatever you do, don't throw in the towel, please. This is a plea this morning. If there's anyone here tempted to walk out on the Lord, please take a leaf out of this psalm. Keep on coming to him. Even if it feels like he hasn't answered you for months, keep on knocking. Remember what you first saw in him. Remember that taste of salvation that you first experienced. That's that's how he begins this psalm. Oh God of my salvation, to walk by faith. That's the walk of faith. I can't see it right now, but I'm going to keep going because faith is the conviction of things not seen. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep calling on him. Even if he doesn't answer, I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep knocking. And praise God that you're still here. 
you're still here in church this morning, you're still praying, you can't walk out on the Lord. Praise God for that. It was he who kept you. So I hope that's been some medicine for people who who need it. Um, But before we close, there are some here, I can't close without this. There are some here who, for them, darkness is not an eclipse. Some people here, there's no light whatsoever. Now, I remember in Scotland, the only time I ever experienced a pitch black situation was sleeping in Scotland, waking up in the middle of the night, and not one ounce of light was anywhere. So here, there's always a street light, there's always, you see something. I woke up and there was nothing. I mean pitch, pitch black. And I screamed at the top of my lungs for my mum. Thankfully, it was was when I was before my teenage years. But it's petrifying. Not one ounce of light. We're not used to that these days. There's always some light in London somewhere. But pitch black is utterly terrifying. And the Bible says very plainly, if anyone is not in Christ, they are in pitch blackness. Now, for some of you, you might not even feel it. You're loving life at the moment. None of this experience is happening to you but you know at times in your life, this has risen up in your life. Fears of death, fears of judgment, it's risen up and you've pushed it down. It's risen up again and you've pushed it down. Everything changed for me when mum came in and turned the light on. So my call to you this morning is let Jesus come and turn on the light. Now the reason why you don't want to do that is because you don't like what's going to be seen when the light's turned on. We don't want anyone to see what we're really like. Maybe that's why you've stayed in the darkness. But let Jesus come and turn the light on. Because he hasn't come to expose you. He's come to expel the darkness. When light is turned on, the darkness is expelled. That's what will happen. If you let Jesus come into your life, the first experience will be painful because everything's exposed. But then the darkness is gone because you've given it all to him. Everything that's weighed you down, every fear, and it's in his hands now. So let Jesus come into your dark room and turn on the light. And I want to encourage you to do this, because what drove him to come in the first place was love. He, think of what he went through. Worse than Psalm 88, because he loves us. Love drove him. Jesus really can take away every ounce of darkness in our lives, and he will. As we close, I want you to cast your mind to the end of the Bible and think of that day that is promised where there will be no more darkness and we will be with him forever. In light, there'll be no more night because he is the sun shining. That is what awaits anyone in Christ today. So even if it's dark right now, look forward to that day where it will all be gone and he will wipe every tear from your eyes. I'll close with what Jesus says in John 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, that means whoever comes to him, whoever puts his trust in him, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow.